Hello and welcome to Lasting Values. I'm today's host, James Gifford, Head of Sustainable and Impact Advisory at Credit Suisse. And this is the monthly sustainability podcast that looks at how you can make an actual impact with your investments. We're going to look at a sector transformed on an unprecedented scale during COVID, education technology or edtech. EdTech has been around for two decades and promised great things, but only recently has it started to live up to that promise, with governments and innovators investing in the area and the cost of devices and internet data plummeting. Tori Patterson, co-founder of Owl Ventures, joined us at the height of the first wave of COVID and projected a resulting boom in EdTech. He explains how his projections played out. It's played out in multiple ways, um, some obvious and some, you know, a bit more counterintuitive. So for the solutions that were ready, um, digital curriculum products, uh, remote assessment tools, synchronous uh, tutoring platforms, things of that nature, the adoption has been um, like exponential relative to kind of pre-pandemic levels. And Again, those products were designed to live and thrive in a sort of status quo school environment that, that you know, was pre-pandemic. And, and the value propositions were de- designed to win in those dynamics, i.e. cheaper, better, faster, um, delightful UX, things of that nature. Th- those products and those companies are doing great still. So what I would say is, you know, the 100% plus multi hundred percent um, growth rates that a lot of companies were experiencing in 2020 and then again in 2021 we're you know we're seeing you know significant pullback in those growth rates but we're not seeing uh, retreat meaning you know schools are still renewing these products and subscriptions um, they're not growing as fast as they were but they're still being used at levels that no one ever would have anticipated they'd be used at in 2022, you know, when we were building and funding these companies, you know, five years earlier. A Credit Suisse report on EdTech says that the pandemic propelled the future of learning by five to 10 years because of the removal of bottlenecks, like the resistance of teachers in using new tech and the hesitancy of parents to consider online education. Tori explained some key developments in EdTech during the lockdown. I'd say a, a fewfold. One, one is the broad adoption of infrastructure to deliver, you know, whether it's remote instruction or just instruction that can be progressing in remote environments, whether it's synchronous with a teacher in a classroom or not. And so, you know, just to break that down in really simple terms, access to broadband has been, pardon the double word here, broadly expanded. Um, and with the, uh, the you know, uh, incoming satellite-based broadband solutions, that's going to get even cheaper and even better. So I, I, I do think, you know, there is clearly still a digital divide that exists in this country, and uh, that, that, that had existed prior to the pandemic. And I think one of the shifts that happened is we are now acknowledging that internet access is, you know, uh, something akin to a critical utility, and especially for families with young learners in the house. So we're seeing that digital divide being attacked by philanthropy, being attacked by, you know, for-profit companies that are looking to solve that problem. But 
even though it's not resolved, it's it's under a very, very bright spotlight right now and um, acknowledged as a critical, critical social justice issue. And in wealthy countries, that makes sense. But what about in the poorest countries? I mean, I know broadband costs have probably gone down there too, but what about uh, access to mobile phones? And I guess the kids don't have access to the sort of laptops that you'd get in, in the US school system. I'm oftentimes speaking with a U.S. domestic lens, and, and that's totally unfair. You're right. There's uh, many billions of learners out there that are in a totally different dynamic where these problems are magnified uh, in a very extreme sense. And so while many of these technologies are available in countries that have broad access to internet, they're simply not in places where that doesn't exist. And so most of these products and solutions are not designed to be delivered in compelling ways over mobile broadband. So, you know, it's a challenge and there's definitely an emerging dynamic where you have kind of first world products and solutions and then other solutions that are, you know, feel, feel, you know, I'd say increasingly antiquated post pandemic. You know, we're at a moment in time in human history where access to knowledge is essentially free net of the broadband rate. (laughs) And so we are gonna be the first generation in human history to enjoy the the, the sort of broad benefits of equal access to elite education. Now we got a long way to go to get there, but we're starting to make big strides uh, towards towards uh, realizing that 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 future reality, and it, and it, it will be an amazing shift in the world. The GSMA's Mobile Economy 2022 report says mobile tech will be at the center of efforts to achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Over the period to 2025, there'll be an extra 400 million new mobile subscribers, most of whom will be in the Asia Pacific and Sub-Saharan Africa, taking the total number of subscribers to 5.7 billion or 70% of the global population. Indonesia offers an interesting case. In that country, the pandemic closed 530,000 schools uh, and local ed tech company Ruang Guru stepped up. Co-founder Iman Usman explains how the company makes impact in education. Indonesia has one of the largest education systems globally. We have over 50 million students, 4 million teachers, but also one of the lowest performing. Wang Guru is trying to solve these problems. We want to see everybody able to access quality education at their fingertips online. It could be videos, it could be quiz, it could be flashcards, study notes, exam prep. They can basically access all the subjects that are learning in school. For my family, education has never been a thing. I'm actually the first one in the family who graduated from college, but I've always known that I wanted to do something about education because not many people have the same opportunity to access quality education. Credit Suisse portfolio manager Kirill Pishkin explains some of the geographic differences when it comes to challenges and opportunities in edtech. He says in many developing markets, investment is trying to fill the gap left by the state. I guess the biggest issue in places like the US would be uh, the cost of education because the cost of tuition has gone above inflation for many years. And today, if you graduate in the US, very often you'd be end up you'll end up with a very large student debt. On average, I think it's something like $30,000. Plus, the education system itself may not work well because a lot of those people, I think more than a third, won't graduate. And the ones who do graduate with this big debt, many of them would be underemployed. In the developing countries, primarily accessibility. In developed, primarily the costs. In the past, China was a significant destination for 
EdTech financing after last year uh, effective ban on after school tutoring, you've seen that uh, US has taken the lead. And um, again, developer markets remain an important part of the investment destination that perhaps there India is becoming more important than China, given it's a large interesting market, uh, yet there is less interference by the state. Ruanguru has collaborated with 32 out of 34 provincial governments and more than 326 municipal and district governments in Indonesia. Co-founder Belva Devara explains why the company works with governments. We actually work a lot with the government to make sure that schools now will be able to use technology to conduct lessons and learning. There can be no revolution in education without technology. Imagine if you're a kid in a remote province, how can you compete with kids with a lot of educational resources? By using this mobile app, they would have also a fighting chance to get to a good university. People born as private and impact, they're not in sync, right? You need to choose one. But for us, we've been able to stay true to our mission and now we are cash positive. Our dream is to reach the whole 52 million students in Indonesia. They'll be able to learn from the best teachers, no matter what their economic status might be. So now we, we've got kids back in school. Obviously, there uh, has been a, a severe disruption to many kids' education. What is the role of EdTech in supporting teachers in person in helping kids uh, catch up to where they would have been? There's an enormous amount of funding allocated here in the United States towards getting, you know, these, these learning gaps addressed. Um, high dosage tutoring is the primary, uh, uh, primary tool in the tool belt that's being deployed right now. And that, you know, that is now cheaper and easier to deliver at scale using these remote synchronous connection technology, Zoom being the most popular, of course. Um, but it is sort of an old school <laughs> Uh, tool relative to the the other the other things we could we could turn to, but that is that is sort of the most proven and I'd say broadly adopted and trusted solution to close some of these learning gaps right now. Picking up on this comment about Zoom as an old school tool relative to other edtech options. To be clear, when it comes to edtech, we're generally talking about online learning apps, personalized learning journeys, e-textbooks, and gamification. But EdTech is also supporting a new problem in schools, the mental health crisis. First of all, it's not just students, it's teachers too. So if you're you know, looking at, you know, Ed Surge is a popular education blog. If you look at that, you'll find dozens of articles addressing the teacher mental health crisis, which is um, you know, a li little bit less discussed. But the, the other issue, which is the student mental health crisis after all of this isolation and trauma and fear, um, you know, there, there, is, there is hope emerging. And what I would say is that there are telemedicine solutions, one that we happen to be involved with called Hazel Health, which is delivering mental and physical health solutions to students via their school district. Generally, we have a front-loaded approach to education in early life, but there is a mismatch between skills and job seekers, the skills gap. The UN Sustainable Development Goal 4.4 identifies that by 2030, many more youths and adults with relevant skills are needed for employment, decent jobs, and entrepreneurship. Short courses, vocational training, and other forms of lifelong learning can help address the gap, but the types of skills, profiles of the job market 
and demand for different professions are constantly evolving. When we're looking at the uh, professions that are most in demand, they're not necessarily the professions uh, which are dominated by the graduates. And that's why you would have graduates who are underemployed because that typically would be because perhaps they wouldn't have learned the subject that is needed by the employers, or perhaps they didn't learn it in the exact way that employers want. One example would be in India, where you would have um, courses in IT um, with a huge demand of cloud professionals, uh, that those courses would guarantee you a job at the same time as the matriculation into the course. Health professionals and IT professionals are some of the most demanded in the world. So those areas, if you target them in education, you are uh, very likely uh, to get this direct link to employment, which is very desirable in education. Now let's see what Kirill and Tori see as the most interesting education technologies on the horizon. One is adaptive learning. Uh, that is, for example, where you have... Um, an algorithm which is tailored in the level of study specifically to your level. And number two, I would say edutainment. Uh, edutainment in a sense that would engage uh, and make the learning process more like a game. They can compete against their peers and they can show off their results to their peers again in a, in a more uh, social, a social environment. I'll highlight two. One is the use of asynchronous, super high quality curriculum. So this is a trend we're gonna see more and more of given the cost dynamics in US schools and schools globally. Um, and so think of uh, super high quality Hollywood production values, celebrities intertwined, uh, high school math class or high school literature class. Um, all being done uh, and delivered asynchronously to students. So that's a really challenging concept for us to get our head around, essentially watching high production value television to deliver <laughs> um, courseware to students at scale. And we're approaching them in new ways, this being one of them. Um, another technology I'll highlight, and this sort of feels like off the shelf technology, but deployed through a school district is having profound impact, which is telemedicine and mental health services delivered remotely to students in school. And um, boy, that is gonna be a, a big industry. Let's just start there. And, and, and then two, it's gonna get care to students much earlier at much, much lower cost. And it's gonna reach students that, you know, for cultural reasons, family reasons, socioeconomic reasons would never walk in to seek out that care. So. You know, these are two like kind of little silver lining things that, again, neither would have come to light uh, were it not for this pandemic. And I think both will have, you know, centuries of staying power. So our traditional classroom model is a relatively cheap, direct delivery of teaching to students, a teacher in front of 20 or 30 kids. But edutainment and high production value content means production of curriculum could cost tens of millions of dollars but would be delivered in small bite-sized chunks consistent with the attention span of kids to hundreds of millions of children. Yeah, and, and the irony is we could, we could uh, create like the highest cost uh, production value you could contemplate using special effects from Hollywood and all the rest, and it would be a fraction of the cost of delivering that same content via teachers globally for a year, you know? So, you know, that, that just, it, it's, it's, 
it's less about cost driven and more about engagement driven um, demand. And, and, and what, what I'm addressing is, you know, the notion of a teacher standing in the class and delivering a lecture. I mean, we've been doing that for a long time in schools and we've been having, you know, consistently declining engagement uh, as, as I think just the, the universe of distraction and opportunity that surrounds these students in and out of the classroom has, has just made that modality more challenging um, a for teachers to deliver effectively and B students to to you know in, in, endure and enjoy these modality shifts like um, I want a, a school experience for my kids that's reminiscent of the favorite elements of when I went to high school you know 30 years ago or whatever that thinking is so disastrous to the evolution that is required right now so we, we all need to uh you know, have those moments where we acknowledge that we are um, dinosaurs uh, in some way. Education has direct links to the reduction of poverty. The global importance of access to quality education for all is underlined by the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And Iman and Belva from Ruanguru are clear on technology's important role in education. Technology, you know, uh, as an equalizer, it allows people to access, you know, quality education at any time they want. I think education for me personally is a ticket to life. I'm a living example of, of that. You know, I came from uh, nothing, basically, but I thought nothing is impossible. While the pandemic has caused so much tragedy, it's also planted the seeds of a new type of learning model for the coming decades, one very different from that which has been largely unchanged for thousands of years. And it's not just that EdTech can provide more engaging and efficient ways of delivering content in the future. Children are demanding that technology has to drive the future of education. So hit that follow button on Apple or Spotify and check in with us every month on Lasting Values, the sustainability podcast by Credit Suisse. Should a bank clean up the ocean? We engage with companies creating ocean impact and preventing plastic pollution practices. We're on it. The information provided herein constitutes general marketing material. It is not investment advice, nor otherwise based on a consideration of the personal circumstances of the addressee, nor is it a result of objective or independent research. The information provided herein is not legally binding and it does not constitute an offer or invitation to enter into any type of financial transaction. The information provided herein was produced by a member of Credit Suisse Group AG and or its affiliates, hereafter CS, with the greatest of care and to the best of its knowledge and belief. The information and views expressed herein are those of CS at the time of writing and are subject to change at any time without notice. They are derived from sources believed to be truthful and reliable. CS provides no guarantee with regard to the completeness and accuracy of the information and, where legally possible, does not accept liability for any direct, indirect, incidental, specific or consequential losses that might arise from making use of the information. If nothing is indicated to the contrary, all figures are unaudited. The information provided herein is solely for information purposes and the exclusive use of the recipient and is not intended and should not be construed 
as legal, accounting, tax nor financial advice provided by CS. If this material is issued and distributed in the US, it is by CSSU, a member of NYSE, FINRA, SIPC and the NFA, and CSSU accepts responsibility for its contents. Clients should contact their sales representative and execute transactions through a Credit Suisse subsidiary or affiliate in their home jurisdiction, unless governing law permits otherwise. This material is intended for institutional investors only, not for retail distribution. It may not be reproduced, neither in part nor in full, without the prior written permission of CS. Important information for investors in Germany. The information and views expressed herein are those of CS at the time of writing and are subject to change at any time without notice. They are derived from sources believed to be reliable. CS provides no guarantee with regard to the content and completeness of the information. If nothing is indicated to the contrary, all figures are unaudited. The information provided herein is for the exclusive use of the recipient. Copyright 2021 Credit Suisse Group AG and or its affiliates. All rights reserved.